It is good to see you this morning. So glad that we can share this time in the Word together. Um, appreciate your patience with me over the last few weeks, and I'm so grateful for the brothers uh, in Christ who have uh, taken my place in ministry while I've been struggling with illness. So uh, I appreciate your continued prayers as we try to figure out what in the world is going on in my body. So, But I don't want to focus on that this morning. I want to give you good news. So I'm so grateful for God's goodness in that. I don't have a sermon for you, but I have lots of texts of Scripture that I want to share with you. Um, the Lord has been ministering to me um, in these days of testing and trial, and I just want to overflow to you. Will you let me do that? I'd like to overflow to you and share with you what the Lord is doing in my heart. These are difficult days for many of us. Uh, difficult days for the church of Jesus Christ. Lots of testing and trial. I think we can all say that. I don't, I don't think it's good in seasons of trial to pretend like everything is happy and everything is right. That isn't the same as continuing to rejoice in our salvation. We can always rejoice in God. Rejoice in the Lord. But it's not right to pretend like everything is healthy, wealthy, and prosperous when it is not. And so that's where we have to take the Scripture and learn to look at all difficult situations through the lens of the Word of God. And that's what I want to help us do this morning. I don't know how long this will take. I'll go as long as I can. And, and if we need to overflow in the next week, we'll do that. Um, but I want to start with prayer, and then I'll ask you some questions as we look together into the Word of God. Let's pray together. I pray, Heavenly Father, that You would open our hearts to understand Your Word in new ways. It is so precious, Father, that when You ordained for Your people to go through difficult times, testing, affliction, um, that you, Your Word just opens to us in ways we've never seen before. It gives us life. It gives us joy. It gives us peace. It gives us hope. I pray that You would teach us, teach me, even as I share with my brothers and sisters this morning, that these words would be, would be Spirit-filled. and We would be filled with the Spirit as speakers and listeners. And You would be glorified. Christ would be honored. We pray in His name. Amen. I want to begin by just simply mentioning to us some of the things that um, the church, our church, has been going through. One, we, we look at the national scene, and that's heavy for us. I, I, I look at it, I, we talk about it, we, we, I can see it on your blog posts and all this stuff. It, it occupies our mind. What is happening to the world around us? We, we look at that. We know that God is at work. We think of the viruses that we've been through. New ones. Old ones. I know that there has been many of us, and sometimes I've sat back and marveled at it to see how many of our church family, this little small body of about 100 people, have been sorely pressed by physical trials. Things that won't seem to let up. You go to the doctor and you say, what's wrong with me? And they look back at you and say, what? I don't know. All your tests come back fine. There are many of you that have been through things like that. And that's happened again and again. Some of you 
I look back over the last few years, strokes, heart issues. I mean, I'm boggled by that. Why? What is God doing? And I wonder, you know, we we think even now of of some of our, our precious people in the hospital, one on a ventilator, one just recently passed away. We had a funeral for her yesterday. Um, another is sick at home this morning, continuing to progress by the grace of God. But we ask, what is all of this? And so I wonder, here's what I want to ask you. What do you do when you are sorely pressed? When you feel the weight of circumstances bearing down on you? To what do you turn? What do you turn to in that pressure to gain a sense of hope and joy and peace? Is it your next doctor's appointment? Is it a possible resolution? Is it an end to the, to the, to the pressure? Is it a new regime over our country? Is it a vaccine? There's a myriad things that so many people would turn to to try to find a sense of hope and peace and joy and an ability to persevere. What do you turn to? And maybe even more specifically, a second question would be as you say, well, I turn to the Word of God. Well, then where? Where in the Word of God do you turn? What is the good news for God's people when they experience seasons of pressure? Do you have a a pathway of life-giving texts of Scripture to go to? Because sometimes, when you're under seasons of pressure, it's more difficult to think clearly. Right? And so you need well-trodden paths of truth to set your feet on to press on. So let me give you some of those. And, and, and what I want to do is I, I want to call these lenses. Can we do that? I want to call them lenses. That's how my outline is going to work out. Lenses. What? The first thing when you think about, whenever we're under seasons of trial and test, we need to put on the lenses of God's Word. We have to look at them through those lenses. So, let's think about some of these lenses. First of all, there is the lens of God's loving purpose. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8? Some of these passages are going to be familiar to you. Very familiar. And others, maybe not so much. But the first one, the first lens I want to give to you is the lens of God's loving purpose. This is, this is gospel for you this morning. This is, this is going to be good news for you in all of this. And I want you to remember as you're turning over to Romans 8 that God has told us in 2 Peter, you can write this text down to 2 Peter 1, to and following that He has given to us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And that that everything we need for life and godliness, that knowledge comes through what? 
His exceeding great and precious promises. That's what the text says. So that by those exceeding great and precious promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through deceitful desires. Oh, that is a precious pathway in seasons of testing. You will have, for every, every season of testing and trial that comes into your life, you will have everything you need through the knowledge of Christ, through the promises of God's Word, and, and as you walk faithfully by God's grace through that trial, you will, God will be extracting from you the corruption of the world and giving to you a greater measure of His Christ-likeness. And so that's why we need to look at all these trials through the lenses of God's Word so that God will have God will be purifying us through those. So, so first of all, Romans 8.28. This is a verse you know well, but don't let it sound to you like the clock tower just chiming off the hourly, the, the hourly toll in, in, in its sort of a secondary part of your life. This is primary. Don't let it get old. It says... And we know, there's confidence in those words, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. All things. What is in all things? All things. Not just the seasons of pleasantry. Not just the seasons of what we perceive to be progress but the seasons of testing and trial and wait. These two work together for good. Why? Because we are called to a purpose. God, before time, chose you who are in Christ. And He chose you and He, and he foreknew you and He planned to call you out of darkness into light to summons you by the Gospel. And in that summons, He granted you faith to trust in Christ and turn from sin And then He promised to sanctify you. Look at how the text goes. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the good that God is doing in you. Through seasons of difficulty. That's the good. He's conforming you to the image of His Son. So that, ultimately, He would be the firstborn among many brothers. So that Christ would be glorified. That you would bear the image of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus would be glorified. And this is not an uncertain thing. You have to know that. That's the lens through which you need to look at the times of difficulty. It's not going to be, well, if I make it through this season, and potentially God will do His work in me. This is God's promise to you. You will go through seasons of pressure. And through those seasons of pressure, He will form the likeness of His Son in you. Those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He what? He glorified. So between your justification and your glorification, a lot is going to happen. And the one will always prove the other. If you have been justified, you will be glorified. Because that's God's purposes for you. Because He called you. Because He gave you to His Son. And all of the testing and trial and pressure and changes in our world and in your life personally is bringing you from justification to glorification. That's what it's doing. And it's certain. 
Absolutely, sir. Take heart in that. So, don't confuse God's testing in your life with His wrath against your sin. Because Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's testing in your life isn't His actions against your sin to punish you in His wrath. Oh, we deserve that. Right? We deserve God's wrath in full, eternally. But in Christ, we have been reconciled. In Christ, we've been forgiven. So now, the difficult pressures that come into your life now are not to be confused with His wrath against your sin. They are to be seen through the lens of His divine purpose that He is transforming you into the image of His Son. He's moving, moving you from justification to glorification. Oh, but it is hard, right? And... That's why we say in verse 18, we must consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You know, we, we, we look at the pressures and the trials and the struggles of this life and we think, is it really worth it? And the Word of God tells us it is going to be worth it. In fact, you will get to heaven someday and you will see the purposes of God fulfilled in you and you will look at yourself in God's completed salvation, and you will enjoy the glory of heaven with your Father, and you will be like, wow, what I went through on earth, that's nothing in comparison with what I have received now in eternal life. You won't look back and say, wow, this wasn't worth it. It's not going to be like going to McDonald's and getting a hamburger and you're like all excited because your kids are excited and you bite into that burger and you're like, oh, that was terrible. This was not worth what I paid for this meal. No, you're going to go through the struggles of this life and you're going to be looking ahead and you're going to get to the glory of heaven. You're going to look back and you say, it's the other way around. What I have received is of far greater value than what I paid in this earth. And it was worth it over and over and over again. That's the way it's going to be. And, and when you struggle under the weight, look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Sometimes when you're in a season of weight and trial, you don't even know what to pray about. But there is someone else who is praying for you. The Spirit helps us. And He Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's the truth. You've got, you've got two persons of the Trinity who are praying for you in your deepest, darkest hour. One, the Spirit of God prays for you when you can't pray yourself. And second, the Son of God is praying for you ever living to make intercession for you, praying that you would be kept, that you would be guarded from the evil one as He prayed in John 6, 17. Remember that? John 17, the high priestly prayer of Christ. He's praying that you'd be kept and you'd be sanctified to the truth. The Word is truth. And it all, it, all those prayers are going to be answered because we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. It's going to happen. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things then? If God is for you, 
Who can be against you? If He didn't spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Can anyone lay a charge to your account? No, not if God justified you. If God is the one who legally declared you righteous and clothed you in the righteousness of Christ, not even the deepest... And I tell you, oh, I'll tell you, in those seasons of pressure and, and, and trial and testing, don't, don't your sins just come to the surface? You, you just you see how weak your faith is, how cold your love can be, how closely you cling to the things of this earth. But you know what? Even then, who can lay a charge against God's elect? Because you've been justified. And you are on your way to being glorified. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. If He's declared you righteous, who else can say you are not? No one. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There it is. Christ also intercedes. And remember, beloved, that nothing can separate you from the purposes of God's love. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? Oh, sometimes you, the world has looked at Christians and said you're like a bunch of sheep being led to the slaughter. Well, that sounds familiar. Who else was a sheep led to the slaughter? And what did God work through the trials of His Son? Redemption. Right? God is a master of turning sorrows into joy. God is a master of turning the most difficult circumstances into the greatest acts of redemption for His glory. Oh yeah, sometimes we look like sheep being killed, but no, in all these things we're actually more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So we can be convinced, just like Paul, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and the loving purposes of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So on your way from justification to glorification, when the Lord ordains difficult times, remember this text. Walk in it again and again. All things. Work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. There's the first lens I want to share with you. You can take that home and spend weeks and weeks in Romans 8. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart. Think of it. But walk in it, beloved. Walk in it by faith. Secondly, I want you to look through the lens. Hmm. The lens of hope. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1. Number one, look through the lens of God's loving purpose. That's Romans 8. Number two, look through the lens of hope. 1 Peter 1. Now don't forget that every letter 
every book of the Bible must be interpreted in the light of the historical context. These, this will help you. This, this helps me. The people to whom Peter was writing were sorely pressed in a hostile world. That's the context of 1 Peter. How can Christians live lives of holiness and hostility? That's the context of 1 Peter. You want a classic short letter to help you to live through hostile days? This is it. 1 Peter. And so one of the things he gives them is the message of hope. Remember the biblical definition of hope all through the Scriptures. It's not a wish for a better day. It's a confident expectation in the promises of God that He will indeed do what He says He will do. Confident expectation. When we hope in God, there is no contingency there. There's no option. It will be. The the strength of hope or the activity of hope is not to... Hope for the best, the way we use hope, is not to expect the best but prepare for the worst. That, that, that's it. it. Hope is not expect the best but prepare for the worst. Hope is utter reliance on simply God's promises that He will do what He, will, he says He will do. It's waiting. It's simply waiting for Him to do what He says He's going to do. Because it's going to happen. Period. There's no expecting the worst. Or preparing for the worst. It's total reliance on the Word of God. And so, verse 3, 1 Peter 3, listen, this is a wonderful text. 3-9. through Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him, You believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When Christ rose from the dead, He accomplished something glorious for His people. He accomplished their resurrection and eternal life. And so everyone who is born again, born of the Spirit, born from above, is also born into a living hope. Not, not a dead hope. A living hope. What is that living hope? Paul or Peter calls it several things in this text. One of the things he calls it is an inheritance. It's, it's the eternal state with Jesus Christ. He calls it a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Everything that eternity means for the believer is that hope. It's being, it's Christ Himself, being with Christ, being like Christ. And the problem is, and here's what trials reveal. Here's what trials and tests reveal. 
is that we have our hope set on the things of this earth and not on things of eternity. And so when trials and tests and changing circumstances in our economy and all the rest of it, when those things threaten to take away all of our earthly enjoyments, though many of them can, are, are a good gift from God, they are not where our hope can lie, should lie. You know, we, we see, we see finances begin to go. We see health begin to go. We see, we see government begin to change. We see myriads of things happen. And the things that we enjoy in this life so much that our God's good gifts begin to slip between our fingers and we think, I'm hopeless. Where, where is my satisfaction going to come? Where is my contentment going to be then? And all of a sudden, as a believer, God calls us, look beyond, Christian. Look to the inheritance. Look to the living hope that will never die, never be taken, never be diminished. Look, look how Paul, Peter describes that living hope. It's one that is imperishable. Everything in this life is perishable, right? Everything. It's undefiled. It's undefilable, if that's a word. Everything in this life seems to be defilable. Right? Things we trusted and things we thought would be reliable and faithful and righteous and good, we find are being contaminated and corrupted and defiled and perishing in this life. Unfading. Things we begin and start off and thinking, wow, I, I'm really enjoying this gift of earth. And, and that's good. But then it fades. And it doesn't maintain for us the joy that we once had in it. Am I, am I painting an accurate picture of the things of earth? This is the way it is. Beloved, think. Think in these days, especially these, these difficult days where many of us across our nation have been isolated. And you think, think about that, that person who maybe, let's be a very specific 60s, 70s, even 80s year olds, and they're, and they're sitting at home alone and they're watching the world that they know perish, become defiled, and fade. And they look ahead and they don't know Christ. That is bleak. They don't know Christ. And all they look ahead to, the, the joys of their life are past. They've done their military time. They've had their day of glory. They've owned their house. Their kids are grown. Right? And gone. They, they don't get to see their grandkids anymore. Right? There's so many like this right now. And they look ahead to the days and they're counting. They, they have 60, 70 years behind them and maybe be five years left. And they don't know what's beyond their death. That is bleak. But that's not the picture for the one who is in Christ. It's not at all the picture. And when the, when the things of this earth begin to remove those earthly joys and, and, and hopes, we still have an inheritance. The best is yet ahead. The party is still coming. 
Christmas is on its way, if you will, right? It's, it's, it's all the best is yet ahead. Truly, it is. You will be with Jesus forever. You will be ravished in the love of God forever. You will know the fulfillment of all of the righteous desires of this life in full. The new heavens and the new earth await us. That's good. That's really good. You know, and it's going to be like this earth except righteousness dwelling perfectly. The glory of God will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. It's going to be great. That's an inheritance that we do not deserve, but has been given to us because Christ has earned it for us. And we rest in His righteousness. And so we're given these gifts, the gift of of a completed salvation, of perfect righteousness, of, of, of being ravished in the glory and the love of God forever. And you think, man, sometimes, sometimes in the heat and the weight of trial and testing, I, my faith doesn't seem like it's going to hold up. Have you ever felt doubts and fears like that in moments of testing and trial? Is my faith real? Is it going to hold up? Am I going to get to the inheritance? The Lord tells me that the inheritance is waiting for His own, but am I going to get there? Look what the text says. Verse 5, See, verse 4 tells us the inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And look what it says, verse 5. You who, by what? God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you understand that verse? That verse tells us that it is the power of God that is guarding you and protecting you and keeping you and will deliver you safely to that final salvation. And He's doing it through faith. He will sustain your faith. Always remember, beloved, that your faith in Christ and His righteousness and your faith in Him alone does not come from you. Don't forget that in the season of trial and testing. It didn't come from you to begin with. It doesn't come from you when you're feeling good. It comes from Christ. It comes through the Spirit. He gives you the faith. He will guard you by continuing to give you the faith that you need to reach that inheritance someday. It is unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. And you know what? It's going to be revealed when God says it's time. And so that's why even now you can rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, or you could say since it is necessary for you to be grieved by various trials. You know, it's okay to be grieved in trials. It's pretentious to pretend, well, that's, that's overstating, uh, that everything's okay. Do you remember the Lord Jesus Christ? when He was facing the cross? It says multiple times throughout the Gospels that He was deeply, what? Troubled. When looking at the cross. Sinlessly, yes, but still troubled. In fact, it says He sweat drops of blood, right? In His grief. Honestly. Trials are grieving, aren't they? But that's okay. Because of what that grief and that weight is doing. What's it doing? It's 
purifying our faith. You know, this analogy of the metallurgist is all throughout the New Testament. Have you, have you, have you come across it multiple times? That your faith is like a mineral. And God takes your faith, that mineral, and He puts it in the fire of testing so that it will be purified. And all the dross and, and the filth and the impurity will rise to the top and Jesus, the perfect metallurgist, screeds it off the top and you will come forth purified. And you know what? Peter tells us in this text that that process is more precious than the things that are of greatest value in this world. Isn't that what he says? It's more precious than what? Gold that perishes. Whereas a lot of people putting putting a lot of value on, on, on gold and silver, even still in our day, right? And it is valuable in our world. But Peter says there's something of greater value. What? Tested, tried, and purified faith. It's true. It's what he says. It's more valuable. Why? Because of what it where it's going. It's going to be found to result in something. Gold, silver, things of this life, what is that going to result in? Nothing. It's going to be burned up someday, right? Second Peter tells us that. It's all going to be just like God spoke and the world came into existence and He holds everything together by the word of His power. One day God's going to say the word or let His word go and it's going to fly apart. That's what the text tells us. Gold and silver with it. And all the things that we put so great a value on this earth. But Peter says, you know, there's something of far greater value. Far greater value. It's, it's that tested faith. Because tested and purified faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ when He returns. And that is of infinite value. The glory of God, enjoying Him and reflecting Him is of far greater joy and value than anything else. And that's what faith results in. And remember, God is powerful to guard your faith. And so when you, when you look at this whole picture and you see what God is doing, and you believe what God is doing, you don't see Him, but you love Him. When you think and meditate on what He's doing in us, it draws our hearts to love Him. And to, to think of the cost that He paid for these things to be in our lives so that we could enjoy His eternal glory forever. We love Him. And though we do not see Him, we believe and rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That's talking about future salvation. That glorification. That's what's coming. So beloved, I, I, as you think of this text, think and look at hardship, national, personal. doesn't matter. Through the lens of hope. This hope. And know that God will guard you through sustaining your faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3-9 is another text that we can trod together well. Let's see. Number 3 this morning. So look through the lens of God's loving purpose. Romans 8. Look through the lens of 
hope. 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Number three, look through the lens of God's strength. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12. I think I'll share this one and then one more with you this morning. And then we'll, we'll keep going with these next week, Lord willing. I think, I think we'll have enough time. 2 Corinthians 12. Look through the lens of God's strength. You know this. This is another well-trodden text. 2 Corinthians 12, verse, verses 1 through 6, Paul talks about the revelations that God has given to him. Um, remember, at the beginning of the letter of Galatians, Paul talks about how he came to receive the gospel message. He says, I, I didn't receive this from man. I received it through a revelation of God. He was taken away. Remember, the, his first revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ came on the road to Damascus, right? Where, where he saw the blinding light and he was converted. But then following that, the Lord revealed the gospel to him. That's the short story. And then he came before the apostles and said, Here's the message that the Lord has revealed to me and taught me through visions and personal revelations. And the apostles said, yes, that's it. That's the gospel message. And so they affirmed him as an apostle. An apostle of Gentiles as Peter was an apostle to the Jews. And so certainly, visions and revelations and such blessing of revelation could tempt a man like you or me or Paul to pride, right? But God doesn't give revelation like this to everybody. This is a wonderful thing. And so that's why he says, verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So this was something that Paul was experiencing in his physical life. You see that clear observation, right? A thorn in the flesh. Secondly, God was, had ordained Satan as the messenger of that affliction. And God does that. Satan is on a leash. And, he got, and God uses him to, to fulfill his purposes. Third, Paul prayed again and again and again that the, this physical situation would be lifted from him. And God said, no, I have something better for you. And so, verse 9, 
But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In God's in God's value system, His strength to be at work through His people is more important than them being strong in themselves. And the power of Christ rests upon His people in their moment of weakness. And Paul actually says he can... He could gladly boast in the weakness, in the calamity, in the hardship. Because he, he's thankful for the power of Christ that would rest upon him. He's content, he says, with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. When he's weak, he's strong. God provides strength through the most difficult of days. He's infinite in strength, is He not? He's infinite in power. And when we come to the end of our resources, His are only begun. Remember that song? We have exhausted our hoard of resources. What's the title of that song? It's not coming to my mind. He giveth more grace. Oh yeah, there you go. It's in the, it's in the text. For the sake of Christ. So that Christ be glorified. Because if His people are strong and relying on their own strength and accomplishing their will and exalting in themselves, then Christ doesn't receive the glory the way He desires. But when we're weak and we're resting in Him, all the glory, we, we know that the glory goes to Him. We, we're aware of it. I guess that's the idea. We understand that it is all Him. And that's why we become content. Because the glory goes to Christ. In fact, I love how Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, I wonder what it was with Paul. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, he says, And when I, and I came to you, brothers, did I, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Is that something? Paul confesses there. When I was there with you, I was with you sharing the gospel, but I was weak and fear and trembling was there with me. It's really something to think about. I don't know what all that means, but what becomes clear is that as a result of that, his speech and his message were not pointing to human wisdom, but they were a demonstration then of spirit and power. And what's the effect of that? That the faith of those who hear will not rest in the wisdom of men, but instead what? In the power of God. There's another wonderful result of weakness. Psalm 73.26 My flesh and my heart 
fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's true, right? We can be content in all of these weighty times and circumstances, national or personal, because we can always rest and rejoice and be content in the power of God. You have, Christian, you, you, listen, you are united with Christ. That's the goal. That's what makes all of these promises reality for us. God promised things to His Son, and since you are united to Christ, by faith in His righteousness, then all of those promises to Christ are yes and amen for you as well. And therefore, the power of God and the riches of His grace are available to you in Christ. Weakness in a believer is an opportunity to enjoy God's strength. One more this morning. And I'll conclude with this one. Turn to Hebrews 5. So, look through the lens of God's loving purpose. Look through the lens of hope. Look through the lens of God's strength. And four, look through the lens of Christ's righteousness. And I think we'll probably talk more about this one next week. But let me just close with this encouragement to you. In a season of trial and testing, like I said earlier, and like we have all experienced as believers, what happens is that the, the sins of your heart, your motives, your thoughts will be will come to the surface. Right? Just just like the metallurgist again. It, it's going to come to the surface and you're going to see it. And you're going to say things like David said, my sin is ever before me. That's what God's doing. That's the point. And, he, and, and those are opportunities to see yourself as never before. You know, when you came to Christ as a believer, you did not see your sin as it really was. You did see your sin. You acknowledged it but you only began to see your sin. And as you grow along in the Lord, He does powerful things to reveal your sin to you genuinely in ways that you would never have anticipated. There's one thing to say, yes, I'm a sinner, and to feel the emotion of a moment. But then there's another thing to be under the weight of trial and to truly see the coldness of your love and the weakness of your faith and your desire for earthly things and your idolatries, your dependence on so many things other than God. It's there. It's there in all of us. And tests and trials will bring that to the surface. And so what sometimes happens is you're going through that day of testing and you're experiencing that and seeing yourself as never before. It can tempt you to despair. And you can think, wow, I am not doing well in this trial. I am performing very badly. I am complaining. I am trusting and grasping for other things to give hope to me. I am loving things of earth more than I love God right now. This is the way it goes. 
And when you begin to despair, what you must do again and again and again is run to Christ. Think of it this way. When Christ was under the heat of His trials and testing and suffering, He performed perfectly. Right? That purchased righteousness to cover you in seasons of trial when you perform badly. And so that when God sees you struggling in your trial, He doesn't see your failings and judge you for them. He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ as Jesus performed perfectly in the trial when you are not doing well. And again, you have an opportunity to rest in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Even in how you're doing in the trial. Look what the text says. Verse 7, Hebrews 5, 7. That's exactly what this text is saying. In the days of His flesh, when He took upon Himself human nature, when He suffered under the curse of human, the, of the human condition, Right? That's what we learn in Isaiah 53. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He bore every, every horrible experience of human life save sin, right? Did not experience sin. He did not sin. So in the days of his flesh, when he experienced everything that you're experiencing and far worse, right? Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him. That's His Father who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. That's how Jesus persevered in trial. He, 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 he cried. He prayed. He trusted Him who was able to save Him from the grave. And He was heard because all through He was reverent. He worshipped. He honored His Father and loved Him perfectly. Verse 8, although He was a son, look, He learned obedience through what He suffered. He obeyed. He perfectly submitted to God's will without sin. Just flawlessly. Performance under suffering, perfect. Verse 9, and being made perfect. What's the result of that perfect performance under suffering and trial? He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. In other words, all who come to Him in repentance and faith and trust in Him for salvation. Do you see the, the glory of that? Under the weight of trial, you may and will perform badly, but Jesus didn't. And His perfect performance under trial covers you, believing Christian, with a cloak of righteousness that stands before God perfectly. And He is the source of your salvation. Run to Christ. Flee to Christ with your sin. Confess it again and again. Tell Him, my love is cold. My, my faith is weak. You see me as I am, but I run to your righteousness again because I know you performed perfectly, cover me in your righteousness before the Father. I trust you. 
I trust you. You are my Savior. That, that's, that's why Christ lived and died and rose again. And that gives you hope and strength to, to press on. So when you are in a season of trial and testing, national, personal, look through the lens of God's loving purpose, Romans 8. Look through the lens of hope, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Look through the lens of God's strength, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, Psalm 73, 26. Look through the lens of Christ's righteousness in your behalf. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. That's the good news I want to share with you this morning. And there's, there's more texts that I want to share with you. Trod these paths, beloved. The days are not going to get easier. We, we see more of what's coming. It's, it's, we're, we're expecting it. The Scriptures show us that this is. We will need the truth of God's Word to give us hope and life and joy and peace. Look through the lens of God's Word. I want to say something to you here. Maybe you are here and you have no confidence that you are in Christ. Meaning, you don't know your sins are forgiven. You don't know that you have eternal life with God. Maybe you don't have any confidence there. And I want to invite you as well. Turn to Christ. Christ is the only way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through Him. All that I've said this morning is not for you unless you are in Christ. Unless you are in and covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you see your sin? You're a fool to ignore it. It's in all of us. And because of our sin, we deserve the wrath of God. It's plain and clear. God is a good, righteous, and perfect judge. He will punish every sin. And He will either punish it in the body of Jesus Christ on the cross, or He will punish it in the sinner who rebels against gospel. And He will be punished forever in eternity. But God is merciful and gracious. And He sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to cover you in righteousness, to die on the cross, to take your guilt. And it, the Bible says that He became our sin and absorbed God's wrath in our behalf on the cross and rose again to give us new life, life that lasts forever. And He intercedes for us. Christ prays for us and keeps us and guards us and delivers us finally when He returns into the presence of the Father. You will not make it with God apart from Jesus Christ. You need His perfect life. You need His death. You need His resurrection. You need Him, His intercession for you. You need Him when He returns to take you to be where He is. So don't turn from Christ. You will make a massive eternal mistake if you do. Run to Christ. He's everything you need. Would you stand? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these texts. Thank You for giving us so much truth to rest in. Thank You for Jesus Christ and His perfections. His humble sacrifice as the God-man pouring Himself out unto death so that He might bring us to God. Teach us days of difficulty to rest in Your words and Your promises. For there we find everything we need for life and godliness. 
Father, I pray that you would also teach us to turn from self-righteousness. And if there is someone listening this morning that is still depending on themselves or something else other than Christ alone to be made right with God, I pray that you would convict their heart, expose their own self-righteousness to them, their sinfulness, and also reveal Christ to them in His saving glory that they would run to Him and find forgiveness, righteousness, and everlasting life. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.